Okay, are we going to my live podcast? I have Mr. Lee Wind here. And let's talk about it, Lee, because you're very interesting. Thank you. Let's and talk I, about it. And I have to know, okay, I believe you have a release date of something very phenomenal. Oh, well, thank you. Well, so, so I have two books that came out this year, and okay. um, I think the one that we're going to talk about is No Way They Were Gay, yes. which is a book for readers age 11 and up, and it's yes. all about men who love men and women who love women and people who love without regard to gender and people who lived outside gender boundaries. Okay. So and people we wouldn't expect. Okay. Well, I have a question because I believe um, what made your, you so interesting to me is because you were reaching out to the teens, like, you know, teenagers who are gay. And, or is that the word you want me to use? What's a better word? Sure, gay is great, queer okay. is good. Um, I don't you know, like, queer, I don't like, queer is sort of like, I don't like that one. I don't like Oh, okay, well, <laughs> I so there's, love, a, there's an uh, age divide with the word, there's an age divide with the word queer. Like for, for those of us that are adults and remember it being used in a nasty way, yes. um, it's, it's a little harder. But I think for younger people, like maybe 30 and under, you know, they're really used to growing up with like queer cinema and queer uh, literature and there are queer studies programs at colleges and universities around the country. So I think that that has, there's a bit of an age thing going on with the word queer. Um, and maybe it's part of also like being in the community, it feels more comfortable using it than for folks outside the community. But LGBTQ is also really good, LGBTQ plus. Um, they do keep adding letters because we do really want everyone to feel that if they identify as part of the community, we want them to feel like they're welcome within the community. And um, I think that that's a challenge for people as well, because as, as we keep adding letters to be more inclusive, people kind of throw their hands up and they're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know I don't want to get involved. But if you're trying, then that's, I think, great. And people appreciate that. Can I share my word that I've used? Because my, my kid's godfather and my godmother, I call it in the light. In the light, okay. That's what it's all, I mean, that's what they, my godmother was like, oh, just say in the light. Now, mind you, she's like in her, well, she's passed on now, but you know, she was, she was, she would be like 70 now, you know what I mean? So years ago, she would say, just say in the life. And I loved it. That's, and I carried that with me, you know, so. And, and I, I think that's a great lesson that we really should let people claim their own labels. I mean, if they're gonna, if we're gonna use labels at all, like with pronouns too, like let people tell you what they want to have, how they want to be referred to. And I think that that's a beautiful way of going through life, not putting names on people or labels on people, but letting them sort of self come to it themselves and say, this is what I feel comfortable with. So just for the record, I feel comfortable with the pronouns he and him, um, which just sort of matches my, you know, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I have a lot of privilege being a white skinned gay guy. Um, I definitely have privilege in that. And I also have privilege in that my sort of internal sense of what my gender is and my external body match. So I say that I'm cisgender, but I also really wanted to be allies to folks that don't feel that, that matchiness and that they might identify as gender queer or they might identify as trans. And I think that that's one of the things I've learned as a gay man is that I'm like the G of LGBTQIA2+. And I feel like my job as the G is to be an ally to every other 
letter. And then what's so cool is that that also opens me up to recognizing that I have to be an ally to women and to people of color and to and, and to uh, disabled people and to every other group that has also been sort of like, you know, been sanitized out of history and, and is disenfranchised in our culture. Because really that was the point of writing the book. Like for me, I just thought like, history in in school to me was taught like first of all it was taught like medicine it was like here's a list of names and dates to memorize but but then beyond that being just boring as anything um it was really taught as like the stories of rich white straight cisgender able-bodied men from europe like that was history and my daughter is in college now and when she was in high school like i remember her textbook could have been my textbook I mean, it was also just those stories. And I remember going to back to school night and kind of calling the teacher out on it a little bit. And I was like, so what about all these other stories? And you know, I went through you know, all the groups that I would have liked to have seen in the book. And she was like, well, yeah, the, the, the textbook isn't really that inclusive, but we have a lot of supplemental material. And I was thinking, okay, but what's the impression on the kids that they get a textbook and then they get a couple of Xeroxed pages about other people? Um, so I really wanted to write a book that kind of like took down that facade and I focused on queer people in history because I'm queer um, and it was the most surprising and fascinating to me and there's I can't do everything and there's lots of other amazing historians that are doing work about other other um, disenfranchised uh, groups of people and telling our us those histories, but I kind of feel like once the facade falls, then suddenly you all this amazing light from history can pour forth and if we can find especially for young people, if they can find themselves in history, I think then they can feel more confident they have a place at the table today. And if you know that you have a place at the table today, you can imagine your future can be anything. And I think that that's the empowerment that I'm really hoping they have. Not only that, if we go back into history, it was there, you know, and I call it in the long, like I said before, but you know, but that wasn't shared, you know what I mean? But if we go back yeah. right, and this is just an, an option because I, I worked for the Department of Ed for 14 years, just to let you know, in different places, you know. And what I found was for those students, there wasn't a place. And yeah. what happens is they're they're caught in the middle. And it's no, it's no place. They're, you know, they're just there going to school hoping that no one mess with them or bother them and or bully them, you know what I mean? But now I believe the schools are definitely reaching out, but did they ever think about adding certain things like that into the curriculum? Because it's here, it's big, people are speaking out, this is who they are, and it's nothing nobody can do about it except embrace it. I, absolutely, and I think part of the problem is language. I think that we've, been tricked as as a gay community um, into accepting some like the term homosexual, which I think just makes people that are not part of our community focus on how we have sex and think that that's the distinguishing factor of being a gay person is how you have sex. And we're we're a weird culture. We're obsessed with sex and we're super, super puritanical about it. We sell dish soap based on sex, but we don't want our kids to, we're banning books in school that include any mention of anybody that might've ever had sex. Um, so like, we have this weird 
relationship with sex. So because we've accepted this term as homosexuality being the, the discussion, right? We're talking about homosexual rights and homosexual history. It really changes the conversation. But what holds me and my husband of 25 years and our teenage daughter together as a family is love. And it's the same love that holds everybody else's family together. Yes. And so if we were talking about love, if, if, if the term was homolovule, and oh. if we were talking about homolovial history and homolovial rights, we'd be having very different cultural conversations. And I feel like we need to think about that because when I'm talking about history and men who love men in history, I'm not going all CSI history. Like that's not, I, it's not, you know, can you have, can you prove with DNA evidence that somebody had intimate time with somebody else? I don't even think that's an interesting question because first of all, it can't be answered. And second of all, why, why are we so interested in what went on in their bedrooms? Like, I think it's much more interesting to look at the primary source material, their letters, their diaries, and like, let them speak for themselves and let's hear their voices. And we can actually find out that if they were in love with other people. So that's where it's like, it starts to open up and you can hear the letters that Abraham Lincoln wrote, Joshua Fry Speed, and it becomes very clear that they were in love. You can read the letters that Eleanor Roosevelt wrote to Lorena Hickok, and it becomes very clear that they were in love. You know, you can read the diary entries of Christine Jorgensen, um, you know, who became world famous in the 1950s um, for having gender affirming surgery and kind of in, in the public eye transforming from this male soldier to this you know, female nightclub singer. Um, but she was always, she always was a woman. She just didn't have a body that matched how she felt inside. And she was um, kind of inadvertently outed in the media and then was so famous for that she couldn't do anything else. She had to go into show business. So she, you know, like reading her diary entries and, and that was one of the things I was really excited about in the book. I got to do a lot of, um, all the primary source material in the book is in bold. So it's really easy for someone just paging through the book to figure out like, all right, what, what did this person actually say? So there's this one moment where Christine Jorgensen talks about, um, she's writing a letter to friends and she says, um, can you, this is right before she was about to have these operations to have, uh, to have her body affirm her gender. Um, and she said, uh, can you realize what success for me will mean to literally thousands of people? For I am not alone in this affliction. It may mean new hope in life to so many people. I think we, the doctors and I, are fighting this the right way. Make the body fit the soul rather than vice versa. For me, it is the heart, the look in the eyes, tone of the voice, and the way one thinks that makes the real person. Wow. So that's what I really tried to do. I tried to like, let us hear the voices of these people from history and kind of set aside the hundreds of years of historians that for one reason or another hid um, the truth and like give space for these people from history to really tell us in their own words how they felt. And then, you know, I mean, I, I'm not trying to convince everyone that I'm right and they're wrong about history, but I want to shine a spotlight on what I've found. And I'm not like Indiana Jones. I'm not like going into some like, you know, ancient cave to discover. I'm going to the library. I'm, I'm looking at in the endnotes of books and, you know, yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm trying to find, you know, get back past all those historians to like, what are the letters that actually happened? And sometimes it's hard, like with Shakespeare's love sonnets, he wrote 120 some love sonnets to another guy. And 
for years, for over a hundred years, the version of the world that the, the knew of those sonnets had been changed and all the ones that had been addressed to a guy, they changed the pronouns, they changed, they changed them. So it seemed like he wrote them all to a woman. Um, and it took a really long time to have them restored and to do them, to, to, to have them presented as he actually wrote them. Well, let me ask you, I would like some advice from you. One, this is an, a question to, for you to advise me on to get the words together. And then there's something I just want your opinion on. If you say pass, we'll pass. If you say <laughs> the opinion, you'll give it. I'll give you my outlook on it and then- It's like a game, all right. It's a game, dude. Okay, so if you, if there's, how do we advise um, parents? And the reason why this is important to me about parents is because one thing I, I believe about parents, they look at their children and they know, they know, they many times they'll ignore it. They don't come to me with it. I'm not going to go to them with it if they see, you know, that their child is in the life, teenager. I have an audience listening and maybe a parent's going through what I'm bringing up to you. I'm just curious, like, how would you advise that parent? What are the steps a parent should take if they see their child have, you know, their teenager and they see, they, they you know, parents can see and it's not good to ignore. What would you say to that parent? How would you advise them in order to reach their child? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for asking. Um, so first of all, let me just start out by saying that I'm, well, clearly I'm gay. I don't know. I, I don't know if people are watching this, but I'm gay. And I, uh, I mentioned I have a husband, um, but I, I was closeted from age 11 to age 25, like actively every day hiding who I was. Wow. Um, and, uh, and I started to come out in my early 20s and my parents were the very last people I told because they, I love them very much, but they made it super clear this would not be cool with them. Um, and it felt very unsafe. And I was very concerned that I was going to lose their love and lose them in my life completely. And so it took me a really long time to finally get the courage to, to come out. So I think that for folks listening, I, it's all about a kid feeling safe or an adult feeling safe for that matter. I just was watching some TV show of um, the Colton guy, the, the one that was the NFL person and then he was on The Bachelor and yes. then he just came out as gay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So he was, you know, and, and, and he was in the draft the same season as Michael Sam, who was African-American and openly gay and kissed his boyfriend when he got drafted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here was Michael who was being, in the life and out and proud. And here was Colton completely hiding who he was. Um, Michael got drafted, but was really sidelined and didn't have a career in the NFL after all. And Colton did and went on to have like a reality TV show about him. And then another reality TV show about his coming out. And and it was interesting because they they uh, both were on, uh, Michael Sam was sort of a guest on this sort of mini series of Colton coming out. Um, and it was very poignant realizing that, you know, if Colton had been honest, like Michael had been, he might have also not had a career um, in the NFL. And I think that it goes back to safety and like, you know, something Harvey Milk said is like if everybody that was in the life came out, he didn't say in the life, but if everybody that was gay came out, um, then it would be impossible for the closet to continue to exist because right. everybody would be okay. Right. Yeah. If one in 10 people are, are, 
openly in the life, then it becomes really hard to continue to stigmatize it because everybody has a brother or a friend or an uncle or an aunt or a grandmother. Everybody is connected to someone they love or multiple people they love that are that are part of the community. And I think that actually I love the expression in the life because it is it is a very beautiful way of saying that you know it's it's not it's not an othering. In the, in the way that we tend to do with language across so many everybody's in a life it doesn't it's just you know what i mean but um yeah so so i think like there's things for parents i think that they need to look at like how are they creating an environment where their kid knows that they're loved no matter what no matter their gender identity no matter who who they fall in love with or don't fall in love with i think that it as parents, and I'm a parent too, like I think it's really important to recognize that we project all these expectations on our kids. Like we, we have all these hopes for them and we want good for them and we don't want them to have a di more difficult life. And I think that we overestimate the amount of influence we have on, you know, who, they how they, yeah. Yeah, it's like they're they're their own people and we can, you know, we can try to set them up for success and we can try to guide them. But I think really it's about like making sure they have a safe space. And for parents, a lot of times you're gonna find out later, like you're they're gonna come out to you later in the process. So I think it's important to give yourself some grace of time in terms of like you're adjusting to the new reality of, of what you know, but to recognize that if your kid is coming out to you, that is an incredible sign of love. That is that they trust you and they want you to know the, who they are authentically. And they don't and want you to find your back. They don't want you to find out a, from anyone else. Yeah, it's an act of love. And I feel like if you can hold on to that and if you can let them know that your love is unconditional, I think that's super, super important. Um, I think that then you have a really good chance of having a, a good relationship with them and support them as they go on, on their journey, whatever their journey is going to be. Um, definitely reach out. There, there are organizations like PFLAG, uh, which are you know parents, friends, and family of, of lesbians and gays. And they're really great, especially for parents that are working through issues. Um, I know that the Black community has very specific kind of stereotype issues about queerness and about being in the life and that there's a lot of stigma even among um, men who have relationships with other men to the point where they're not even identifying as gay they're you know there's a, a whole other category men who have sex with men but I have my issue with that is that it makes it all about sex and again it's, it's not deeper about than that. It's about love and it's about relationships. Yes, yeah. and that, that was my that leads me to my next question. So you know how you'll hear a husband and wife, the wife finds out he's been sleeping with men, or or a gay man who decides that you know what I'm not doing this anymore. I want to marry a woman. Is that a moment thing? I know I asked you two questions in one. So it's totally confusing because my, my brain was just like a computer. So let's start with, because, you know, um, it was this big topic about married men, sleeping with men and, oh, oh well, he's gay. But sometimes they're just sleeping with men. Like you said, it's just a sex. It's just sex. And it's how it's looked at. Do you agree with that? Or, you know what I mean? Um, okay. I think it's all about. I think a relationship is about communication. And if okay. you're if you're being honest with your partner, you know, then and and you're 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 above board and everybody knows, <laughs> then that's one thing. If you're if if you're if if you're lying, 
to the person that you're that you've you know pledged to spend your life with, that's a problem, no matter what you're lying about. And I feel like, you know, uh, there are definitely you know relationships that are you know you can make up the rules to your relationship uh-huh. um, in the way that you want it to be. And I think that for people that are in the life, in the community, sometimes mm-hmm. it may be easier for us to envision a, a relationship that isn't that 1950s cliche of what the, the church and the religion and you know the whispering neighbors next door expect. Uh-huh. Um, I think that it may be harder for people that are in traditionally, you know, uh, relationships that are presented as um, heter- heteronormative oh. relationships. It may be more difficult for them to negotiate terms of a relationship that's going to work for them. But really, what do I care what other people do? And what what do anyone what does anyone care what I do? I feel like we should all just if you're being honest with the people you need to be honest with, right? It's like a need to know basis. Like, do they need to know? And like, yeah, in today's world, they need to know. Like, there there's a there's a pandemic going on. You shouldn't be going out <laughs> kissing anybody else, right? No. Like, that's funny. I, I so, get it. I get it. Yeah, but you know what's so funny? I remember what this I remember my, my father said to me, you want to know something about a relationship? When you leave and go to work and they leave to go to work, you don't know where they're going. So you just have to live your relationship. You that's that trust, you know what I'm saying? And, and you can't let, about trust, yeah. let your friends or your community change the tone of your relationship if that's what happens. You know, occurs in your relationship. It's interesting, it goes it goes back to a safe space, right? Like we want our relationships to be safe spaces for us to be our authentic selves. And I feel like that question about you're, you're in a marriage, you know, you're in a relationship with someone, is that, does, is, does it feel like a safe space for both of you? Because it should, right? Like, should, like, I don't know, like my husband and I, we talk about like, what is love? What is the definition of romantic love? And, and for us, you know, we talk about like, love is that you give the other person wings to, to, to fly and soar and have the most amazing possible life they can possibly have and hopefully you know alongside you um, but it isn't about chaining someone down and and limiting who they are or forcing them into a box I think um, and, you know and that's the kind of love that I want to teach my kid about and hopefully that you know she'll grow up and she'll have a love that makes lets her soar as well beautiful and I, I not, you know, I don't like to be political, but I have to ask you this question. So there was recently a comedian that was on Netflix, <laughs> right? And I did watch it. Yeah. I watched how he told the story that she was transgender, I believe, and she was watching the whole show. And he told his jokes. He noticed she was there. She laughed at all the jokes. At the end, he said the show was over. He goes over to the bar and who's sitting there? She was. And she told him, come over here and sit with me and let's have a drink. And he said he was uncomfortable because he was like, uh-oh. But they talked, they laughed. She, you know, it was a little understanding they had amongst each other. And then it was just big blow up because of what he said. And you know, you always have to be careful of what you say because the community is, I think they've been bashed for so long. It's like, we're not taking that. This is, this is just what I get from you. You better watch what you say. And we're going to stand together to show a united front. And it, you know what was amazing is that me being an African-American woman, I watched how that community stood up closer than my African-American community when it comes to us fighting for our, right, our rights and justice. 
Does that make sense? Like if you, I mean, we see it. Yeah, it's all connected though. I mean, and that's actually one of the people that, like when I was doing the research about all the people in history and who I wanted to include in the book, the, the person that was like the biggest hero to me was Bayard Rustin, um, who was the, the openly gay black man that um, worked with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He actually taught Dr. Martin Luther King about um, the sort of the theory of nonviolent protest. And he was the one that organized that famous March on Washington where Dr. King gave that you know amazing I have a dream speech. So Bayard was openly gay and was really sidelined in the civil rights movement because of that. And in fact, there were some weird machinations where someone tried to blackmail uh, Dr. King because of Bayard being involved with the civil rights movement. And so he kind of got pushed to the side, but he still did an, an enormous amount of stuff. And he spoke so eloquently. And this is again, trying to bring the voices from history out. Wow. Um, I wanna just read one thing that he said that I think was so brilliant. Um, he was asked uh, in an interview, I think in the 1980s, uh, you know, do you have any advice for other black gay activists? Um, and he said, I think the most important thing I have to say is that they should try to build coalitions of people for the elimination of all injustice. Because if we want to do away with injustice to gays, it will not be done because we get rid of the injustice to gays. It will be done because we are forwarding the effort for the elimination of injustice to all. And we will win the right for gays or blacks or Hispanics or women within the context of whether we are fighting for all. Oh. I love that so much. Wow. I think that that is, that is that is it in a nutshell. Like we have got to stand up for each other. And yeah, like the trans community, especially the trans community of color, have, they have been so maligned and they are only just starting to get some recognition and some respect. And I feel like we need to be allies as best we can to, to their to their to their humanity, really. I mean, you know, we are so uh our view of gender is so limited in our in our culture and I think that we can allow people to be complex and we can allow um, lives to be authentic and we can you know view we have this thing where we talk about like let's teach tolerance and okay yeah tolerance is okay but you know and then they're like oh well maybe acceptance maybe that's a, maybe that's a little better than than tolerance um, but I think we should be aiming to celebrate differences. Like we're so quick in nature to celebrate like all the beauty of all these different flowers, right? Or all these amazing birds or all this variety in nature. And when it comes to human beings, we're not particularly celebratory of, of diversity or of differences. And I don't understand why, why not? Why, why can't we get beyond that seventh or eighth grade mentality of like, we want everybody to dress the same and be the same. You and like get to the point where we're really celebrating each other. You know what I believe though? Just like anything else, it's because of other possibly gay people that do things that causes the people to not have acceptance. It might not be you. Mm. It might just look at, and I'll, I'll give you a little example, right? Now, I mean, I accept, I told you, my kid's godfather, love him, um, my godmother. I don't know, I think, how to put it? We're, we have different cultures, right? So if we turn um, gay into a culture, right? In which it can be, right? You know how they say, well, I'll say all black people not the same because I, I would never do things that we see on the news that they do because I'm different. 
maybe people within the culture do things and cause people now i don't know if that's what goes on but you know like if you're trying to figure out what is it it's all over the place I, i've never looked at a person that way though i look at your heart because that's what matters at the end of the day i don't i don't care i have to say it this way i'm gonna get close to you i don't care whatever decision you make for you i'm i love you i love you no matter what decision you make and and maybe yeah, and i think on that it would be better. I think a little bit too, there's this thing about decisions and that, like there's a lifestyle choice language that gets thrown around a lot about queer gay people, people that live in, in the life. Um, and I think that that's tricky because I don't really think that there is a choice. I think that you're, the choice that you're faced with when you are gay is that you're either gonna be real and authentic or you're gonna live a lie. Like, wow. I think that's your choice. Uh, like there's no way that you could, I mean, for, for those of for your listeners that are people that identify as, as straight, mm-hmm. uh, can they imagine convincing themselves to be gay, you know, to be a lesbian, oh. to, like <laughs> okay. you, you can't, it isn't like an internal switch that you have access to. It is just how you are wired. Like if you're going to fall in love with a man, then you're going to oh. fall in love with a man. You, you, you can choose to, you know, to pursue it or not, but like, curious? Can some people be curious and say, well, I, you know, just to do it? But, oh, we goes back to it yeah, being sex. I'm I mean, sorry, it takes you back to it being sexual. You know what I mean? That's what it goes well, back to. Yeah, I mean, whether it's romantic or sexual, I mean, I feel like there's, like, there is definitely a space for questioning as part of the community, right? Okay. Like, you're trying to figure it out. The world is so noisy. The expectations of your family and of society are so loud Sometimes you need some space to hear what your own internal voice is telling you in terms of like what is real. And I definitely think that for me, there was certainly a period of time where I was questioning. I had no idea. Um, And I was hoping that I would be straight. And Oh, when you were younger, you were questioning. No, it was when I was a teenager. Yeah. Really? What did that feel like? You know, I've never been able to ask, you know, these are the curious questions now. What does it feel Please. like? You would be around a girl or a girl would talk to you. You'd be like, it's something inside that's just, it's no attraction there. Like, is it like that? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm Yeah, fine. so I, I, okay. So I dated girls. Yeah, yeah. I was nerdy, but I dated <laughs> girls all through so, high school right. and college oh, and grad school. And, and thank you. And, and um, I kept hoping the feeling would come. Like I judged that it was the right thing to do. And mm-hmm. I went through all the motions and I had intimate time with these people that I was in relationships with, with these women, but I didn't feel it. I was like an actor um, and I was, uh, it, it felt incredibly false and incredibly difficult. And yet I justified it by telling myself, well, but maybe if I just hold on, if I find the right woman or if I, get to the right level of love in this relationship that it will click, something will click and change and I'll feel it as well as just judge that it's the right thing to do. And that's actually a really cool segue because when I first heard about Abraham Lincoln and Joshua Fry Speed, I was like, that, that no way. I mean, how could that be possible, right? Abraham Lincoln, founder of the Republican party, there's just no way that he could be someone that was in love with another guy. But I went to the library and I got out a book that had the letters in the, as, as an appendix. And so Abraham and Joshua had lived together for four years. Wow. And they had shared a bed 
Um, again, I don't care what they did in the bed. Uh, you know, historians say a lot of historians were like that. That was pretty typical at the time. Whatever. Oh. After four years of living together, Joshua moves back to Kentucky from Springfield and um, marries a woman named Fanny. And oh. eight months after the marriage, Abraham writes Joshua a letter. And in the letter, he says, are you now in feeling as well as judgment, glad that you're married as you are? From anybody of me, this would be an impudent question not to be tolerated, but I know you'll tolerate it for me. Please tell me quickly. I feel very impatient to know. And then we don't have the answer, but we do know it was only a few weeks later that Abraham married Mary Todd. And when I read that letter, when I read those lines, are you now in feeling as well as judgment, glad that you're married as you are? That is exactly how I felt as a teenage guy dating these women. I judged it. I didn't feel it. I kept hoping the feeling would come. And I was like, I got goosebumps. I was like, wow. there I was in history. Abraham wow. Lincoln and me, we felt the exact same way. Wow. And, that, and for me, that was what started this whole thing. That was what like took down this false facade of history for me. And I was like, then I was hooked. But then I was like, <laughs> what other stories of history haven't I heard? Wow. And what, what prompted you to, to write the book? Because because I, I, I didn't, there are a lot, like I said, there are a lot of adult books that are out that include little pieces of the history. Um, but I really felt like, wouldn't it be cool if there was a book for kids for ages 11 and up that mm -hmm. would really talk about this false facade of history and that would lay it out for them and let them read the five of the love sonnets that Shakespeare wrote to another guy and read the letters between Eleanor and Lorena and you know read Christine Jorgensen's journal uh, diary and really you know let them know that there were all these people in history that were living in the life and that they can they can feel like a sense of belonging and hope and like they didn't they didn't just spring up overnight i mean there was a there was a pharaoh in egypt over 2600 years ago called Hatshepsut and over the course of 22 years of ruling ancient Egypt, they changed their presentation of their gender. So they started out and they were, they were the daughter of the, of the, of the king and, and the husband, I'm sorry, and the wife of the king. And then their half brother died. And then, um, so there was this moment where Shachepset was 16 years old and there was no male heir except for a two-year-old, um, her nephew who was two years old. So she at 16 convinced all the sort of ruling um, you know, elite of ancient Egypt to let her rule as a regent, like um, uh, sort of the person in charge for her two-year-old nephew. And then a couple of years in, she declared herself king, not queen, king, Mm -hmm. um, as as a as a co kingship with her at the time like five year old nephew, and then as as he kept growing, she kept masculinizing her public appearance. So we actually you can look at statues that show this progression where she goes from being presented as in, in a complete like feminine you know outfit and um, you know facial features to sort of like an in between stage. Um, and then to like a completely masculine stage with like, you know, squared up shoulders and pecs and, um, you know, a false beard and a crown. Like it's fascinating. Yeah. And even in terms of Egyptian art, there was this thing where like women stayed indoors. So they were painted um, yellow. 
the statues were painted yellow and men were out in the wide world under the sun and they were painted red. And it, looking at Hatshepsut's statues in one of the temples, you can actually see it goes from yellow to orange, a color that nobody used in ancient Egypt for depicting uh, skin tone, to red. Wow. So like it even, even in the statues, you can sort of see this amazing progression of, of sort of gender. And I think that for kids that identify as gender queer or gender fluid or gender non-conforming, knowing that there was a pharaoh in Egypt that ruled for 22 years, I feel like that would be so empowering and exciting for them to, to know about. So that's why I wrote it for, for kids. And, and the nice thing is, is that adults like it too. <laughs> and you know what? Um, our history is a lot of secrets, <laughs> a lot of things kept from us. And I think that that's powerful. It should be, we should know that. You, that's yeah, absolutely. should. It, yeah, it, and, and so, Go ahead. Sorry, the book is a, the book has a lot of famous people in it, but it also has people that that aren't so famous, but give us windows into understanding other cultures. So, like one of the chapters is about Memphis Nathunya, who was a, an elder in Sotho, um, in Lesotho, uh, in Africa, and she had a relationship with uh, an American, and and the uh, American helped her. Um, she dictated her autobiography. Memphis dictated her autobiography to this woman that she fell in love with later in her life. And so we have this incredible record of um, a sort of like pre-homophobia Lesotho and how women were married to men and yet they had these romantic relationships with other women that were celebrated with, uh, with ceremonies and, and celebrations that were a lot like wedding ceremonies um, oh. and celebration, not ceremonies, uh, wedding celebrations. And so, um, so she has these two relationships, Mempo, in her life. One is sort of pre, sort of um, uh, Western homophobia taking over the culture. Um, and so she had this like, this, this um, woman that she loved and they were in this relationship and it was celebrated by the community um, a number of times and their husbands were there at the celebration um, and it was this um, huge thing. And then later in her life, after sort of the, the, the curtain of homophobia fell across the country and across the culture, she has this secret relationship with this American woman that came uh, to study in Lesotho looking for, you know, was there a lesbian culture there? They have this beautiful relationship for a number of years. They live together, but at that time it's completely closeted and, um, and so poignant. And I was so grateful that she, um, her, her autobiography is called Singing Away the Hunger. And I was so grateful that she, that, that it happened, that we got access to um, recognizing that like the history has been so told by the people in power that we, it's sort of a window of us recognizing that, wow, the stories of women and in, in, in particular women of color, black women, we don't hear those stories so much because they weren't recorded generally in a way that really gets passed down. So I was so excited to kind of get to highlight that, if nothing else, as a recognition of like, there is so much more we don't know. And you know, I didn't want to write a book that was like an encyclopedia. Like I wanted to write a book that was not medicine, but more chocolate. But what I'm hoping is that it's the beginning. It like gets people excited and they want to go read these other books and they want to start exploring and what other stories from Africa, what other stories from Asia, 
what other stories from around the world can we find of men who love men and women who love women and people who loved without regard to gender and people who lived outside gender boundaries because it just expands our understanding of the world. Yeah, and I think that's super exciting. And it's part of, kind of like part of the norm when you listen to what you're talking about. You know what I mean? By it's yeah. So we, it was taken, it was so taken away that that's not part of the norm to people that, you know, is not familiar, but listening to what you've researched and what you found, it was part of our world. It has always been part of our world. And, it, and if you just look at the numbers, right? Like just statistically, it is impossible that everybody important in history was a straight white guy from Europe, right? Like it's just, you're right. It's impossible. It's impossible. So, so like, let's, let's open our, let's, let's open ourselves up to the possibility that like, wow, maybe the history that we've been taught has been sort of like um, adjusted or, or, or sanitized um, and not for us, but for the protection of the people in power. And maybe, you know, we can expand our view of history and change the textbooks, please. <laughs> it's like, let's, let's just start a conversation. That's what it starts with. So could you, it does. could you talk about your website and your books? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have, uh, I have, no way they were gay. Um, so my name again is Lee Wind, W-I-N-D. And so my website is leewind.org. Um, and for 14 years, I've been blogging for kids and teens um, and, and also the adults that care about them. Uh, and the blog is called, I'm here, I'm queer, what the hell do I read? And uh, the idea is to sort of highlight what are the books for kids and teens that are out there. But I also talk about things in culture that I want people to pay attention to. Um, and just really try to create a safe space online. Um, I, I started it really because there was no place to go to find out like what was a list of books that were that felt safe, that felt good and affirming for queer kids. Because uh, online is can be a very toxic space. It can be a lot of heat and not a lot of light. So I wanted to create a place that was really safe online. And um, and then. Um, I have, uh, so when I found out about the whole Abraham and Joshua thing, I wrote a novel called Queer as a $5 Bill that was about a kid today that's gay and closeted. And, you know, Abraham's on the $5 bill. So that's why queer is a $5 ah, bill. Because uh -huh. there was an old timey expression when I was a kid. Um, if something was really weird, it was queer as a $3 bill because we didn't have $3 bills. Uh -huh. So um, so that's why queer as a $5 bill was sort of like my, my little wink to Lincoln. And um, anyway, so it's a story about a kid finding, being gay, uh, closeted, dating a girl and not really feeling it, but judging that he should be doing that. And then discovering the Lincoln's letters, having the same goosebump moment I did, and then deciding that he's gonna out Lincoln to the world and change how everyone thinks about gay people. But instead it just blows up in a big media firestorm and conservative backlash. <laughs> Um, and what was fun is that I got to also do a little bit of a romance between him and they bring in a civil rights attorney to help. Um, and because the family's going to lose their business because they own the, the Lincoln Slept Here Bed and Breakfast and the town of Lincolnville, Oregon is suing them because they've kind of destroyed the tourist economy. So they bring in a civil rights attorney and she's black and she has an openly gay son who's black. And there's a romantic kind of spark between the two boys but the main character, Wyatt, feels like he can't do anything about, he can't follow his heart because if he comes out as gay, no one's gonna believe him about Lincoln. Oh. But if he, if he pretends to be straight, 
and says, yeah, but you know, I, I mean, I'm straight, but take a look, Lincoln really was in love with this other guy, then maybe he'll get to change history and change the world. So he's sort of struggling about that. And it was interesting because that got me to be able to talk about how things are complex in history and things aren't black and white. And Abraham Lincoln was not a perfect person. He had a lot of flaws. Um, and he was kind of a racist too, even uh -huh. though he freed, you know, he, he caused the end of slavery. But there was a point where he was thinking he's shipping all black people back to Africa, to wow. Madagascar or something. Like it was crazy. So like being able to be to be real about people being complex in history, that was really exciting. So when I was researching the novel, just so much evidence kept piling up. And I was like, at some point I was like, look, I want this to be a page turner. I don't want it to be like a, a, an encyclopedia. So then I was like, well, maybe I'll write a nonfiction book. And then I was like, but I didn't want that to be like medicine either. Uh, so that's when I started to, to work on No Way They Were Gay. Um, and then I have a picture book that just came out, which is about something completely different. But interestingly, it is inspired by history right. um, in 19... In 1993 in uh, Montana, there was a small town called mm -hmm. Billings mm -hmm. and uh, pretty much everybody's house was decorated for Christmas for the holidays, but there was one house on one street that was decorated for Hanukkah. And um, someone threw a stone through the window of the little of, of this home where a little boy who was five years old lived. And um, the community, it was, the, it was one in a series of hate crimes that had happened in the community um, leading up in this period of early December. And the community, kind of, they just were like, you know what? We have to stand up, we have to do something. And so it started with some of his, the little boy's friends and then it kind of grew, but people started to put up images of menorahs in their windows. And in the space of three weeks, over 10,000 windows across town ended up having menorahs in them along with their Christmas decorations. And when everybody in the town sort of stood up for like the true meaning of community, the haters backed down. And in this little town, love won. And I thought that was such a beautiful story. So I wrote, yeah. I wanted to write a story for really little kids about that. So it just came out, it's called Red and Green and Blue and White. And right, red and green are the Christmas colors and blue and white are the Hanukkah colors. Um, and it was illustrated by a, a famous illustrator, Paul Zielinski. Um, and uh, so that's been really exciting because even though it's not about queer stuff, it's still about the same idea. It's about like, hey, we have to stand up for ourselves. We have to stand up for others. And when we, enough of us stand up, for each other, that's what that's what community means. And that I think is what the true meaning of the holidays is as well, right? Really nice. And that's the book you have down there, the one you held up. Which one is that one? I love the Oh, awkward. this is me. Oh, that's behind you. So oh yeah, so I have posters. I have posters of my books behind me. <laughs> oh, I'm looking like, I know, that's beautiful artwork, nice. Yeah, and you can see this is the copy I used to, to give talks. So I have lots of little um, book, like oh, little little sticky note tabs. <laughs> that's a must have for a bookshelf. I tell you, very interesting. Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about this, Mahani. It's really fun. And I think it is, it does all start with a conversation and coming at it with respect and, and some sense of humility too. Like I'm just one person and I don't know everything, but and I don't need to convince anybody, but I'm really excited about this cool stuff that I found. And I would hope that, you know, in my ideal world, an adult would read it with their kid, you know, and then talk about like, can you believe that thing about Shakespeare? What do you think? Do you think that's, that's right. real? <laughs> right. I think it could make for some great conversation. That's right. It starts with the conversation. A lot of people run from it, but you can't run. It's right in front of you. You want your kids to be knowledgeable about this because why have them they're looking at something and they're like what, what 
what is that? You know what I mean? They don't know how to, you know what? You have to lead with love. And that's what you teach your kids. Uh, I have and, three and that's how we... sons. I never taught them nothing except lead with love. How a person treats you. I don't care nothing else about the person. They treat you good. That's fine. I don't care. Straight, gay, not black, green, orange, Martian. <laughs> if they're good to you, that's all that matters. Yeah. And I do think that love, like touching hearts and like, that's how we change the world to, for the better, right? Like, like people connecting. I mean, I know this is Zoom, but like we're connecting, we're having a lovely conversation. You know, like we, we see the humanity of each other and we're talking about these things that we really care about. And I think like that changes the world. Like everybody that hears this conversation is going to think a little bit differently about stuff. No judgment. Yeah. No judgment. Yeah. Safe, no safe space. Safe space. Safe space. But you know what? I always laugh about this. Uh, <laughs> everybody, first thing people say about the Bible is not supposed to judge. And man, everybody do that all day, every day. So, it, you know, you have to love. When I chose my kid's godfather, he was there from the beginning. That's why he was their godfather. I don't care. I would call him now and I'm like, you know what? And he's like, what's up? He's been more connected than, you know what I mean? My other relationships, my godmother, they're 100%. You know what I love about both of them? They're in the life and it's their life. It has nothing to do with us. We love each other. They're human. They, they bleed the same. And that's what you have to realize. It's, you know, it's, it's being literate, not yeah, illiterate. Give, <laughs> you know, and, and accept the gift that it is that someone's willing to share their authentic self with you. I mean, like, wow. I mean, after acting for 14 years, I'm so over it. Like, I don't never want to pretend to be anybody I'm not. So I think it's, it's a real blessing when someone wants to be that honest with you. So, um, and for everybody listening, if you know somebody that's queer, let them know you love them. That's right. And that's because that's, that's what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. It is um listen, I don't really give it a thought. I don't think about it. I can see somebody because guess what? You know what's funny? To meet somebody and you may think that they are, but they aren't, then it's like a pie in your face. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> is it need to know? Are they trying to hit on you? Then you need to know. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Well, I had that experience recently. And you talk about start with a conversation. I was like, oh, I have to go back and have the conversation. And it was a, it was a female. And she went to hug me. And she actually, we had on the mask. I've never hugged her a day in my life. But we didn't see each other in years. She knew me since the twins. My, my three boys were little. She hugs me. And she kissed me over the mask with the mask. And I didn't pay her no attention no biggie because I'm I'm a free spirit like I don't judge people I don't care whatever I will not I won't not eat after you because you're gay who I don't think that way you know what I mean so the fact that I'm happy go lucky then the next time it was a hug and it was strong and she pulled me into her and I was like no I have to say something and I'll tell you <laughs> <laughs> Keeping it real, it don't mean that I don't, I, listen, my, my godfather is gay and so is my godmother. I love all people, but don't, I'm not into the trying me. Don't try me like that. See, that's the part. See, I want, don't, don't, you know what? I would respect you. Don't do it that way. Ask me so I can say nope. And then we, I still love you. Keep on going. 
we still have our friendship. It's just an understanding. Yeah, good, good to have boundaries. So that's how you were so funny <laughs> about the boundary. You know what I, I just I was you know what it reminds me of? When the guy, this was years ago, a guy would walk by and a hand brush across your butt. And if you don't say nothing, then yeah, or or talk to you and your hand brush across your breast. It's like, oh, all of that trying me, that don't try me. It starts with a conversation, right? I can't I, listen. Then we consent, talk about people. Consent. You gotta ask. <laughs> and she's like, when she, I was like, no, I'm going back. When I see her, I didn't know what I said. Three strike. I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna because I said I'm not gonna think that way. You know it's not fair. I know it's funny. Look, I just keep it real. Look, you know it's fair to me to give a person a chance because what I may be thinking, you may not be thinking, and we have a great friendship. And then when I accuse you of something that you weren't thinking, it's a strain on it somewhere. Even though we forgive each other for it, it's still that thought. You know, you planted a thought. Mm. So I said, I'm not going to say nothing. But then the second time, second time was just last week. So now, you know, I have to walk into the park. Now I've been three strikes. I'm going to say, come here. Let me tell you something. I'm not in life. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all it is. I got to say it. But take it as a grand compliment, Mahani. Oh, it's, it's somebody, it is a compliment. No, no. I'm not offended. I'm like, uh-oh. I got a minute coming after me. Uh-oh. No, I'm just saying that I, the reaction was like, and I called my mommy. I was like, mommy, you're not like it. And she was like, well, not really. It didn't have to be. It didn't have to be bad. <laughs> but listen, I don't judge anybody. We never know what the future may hold for any of us. We don't know what happens 10 years from now. And you know, as far mm-hmm. as who we date, what we do, we, we're living in the now. We, we Everybody should live their life on what's going on now. Yeah. And don't try people. Guys shouldn't do it either. You know what I'm saying? I just think, <laughs> listen, it starts with a conversation. Hi, how are you? I want to date you. What's wrong with, hi, how are you? I, I want to sleep with you. See, now people may think that that's just so blunt and free, but is it being real? Why should I get offended if you said that? But I can answer you. Nah. Or, yeah, let's go now. It can go anyway. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, man. Absolutely. <laughs> been a wonderful conversation and you i like the fact that i feel so free you create such a comfortable platform for a person to talk and let's talk about it we talked about it right <laughs> we talked about it and thank you so much i really appreciate that um yeah we got to create safe space for each other and for your listeners and i um, really honored to have had this opportunity thank you Mahani. And make sure you check your email because I had to email you something for you to fill out. <laughs> Thank you. We'll do. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>